0: So in John chapter 4, there's a there's kind of a, a long-told story about Jesus and this woman at the well, or the woman of Samaria. And John doesn't waste any time digging in to talk about why uh, Jesus should not be talking to this woman. In chapter uh, 4 of, of, of John, we're going to start maybe in verse 7. Um, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Okay? Okay? Uh, No please, no, you know, Jesus just being super rude right in this moment. Some of you moms in the room be like, oh no, (laughs) oh no, right, if you're teaching your kids manners. Um, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, so he asked her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans? So already we are dealing with a little bit of social awkwardness, a little bit of... um, one, one might not, you might not call it racism as much as like classism and things like that. There is a little bit of race things going on. I'm not saying that there's racism, but there's different races happening here. There's in the culture, you would have Jews and Samaritans, but you would never see those two coming together. Um, so it's a good thing that we've gotten past that though, right? Like in our very strong culture, no, we're still dealing with some of that stuff. Okay. All right. So um, she, she says, why on earth are you going to talk to me? Um, I am not only a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. And Jesus answered her If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So you have this moment where Jesus is kind of asking her a question, and the whole time he really doesn't really want water. Now, granted, it does say that he's wearied from his travels and things like that, that he's tired. Um, But you've got this guy sitting at the well by himself, crisscross applesauce, waiting for this woman to give him a drink. This is not what he's after. He's not after, like, water. He is after this conversation with this woman, right? Because he says, give me a drink. And she says, what? Why are you talking to me? He's like, let me just go ahead and flip the script on you. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Now, put yourself in her position, what just happened, dude? Like, do you want the water or not? Right? Why are you giving me all these riddles? And, and we know if, we've, you know if you've read anything in the Bible before, this is not uncommon for Jesus to say something that is a little off-putting, um, but he is trying to get her to have a different conversation in this moment. So he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So she kind of she, she's like, okay, I'll bite. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? So, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, put yourself in this position again. Like, this, this Samaritan woman is, is kind of like, what in the world is happening? Like, you don't even have a bucket to make this happen. What, what exactly is happening? And so he's going to respond. Everyone who drinks of this water will, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she thinks, I guess in this moment, because she says, give me the water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here and get water. She apparently thinks, it's just my guess, that there's going to be like a, like a David Blaine-like magic moment happening where she has a cup of water and she's literally never going to be thirsty again. I don't think she's clued into the spiritual nature of all this yet. And this is going to get really awkward really fast. And so I want to pause. And so we're all in this moment, right? We're sitting next to a well, next to this man that she's never met before, right? And she's there at noon. Why is she there at noon? Um, Because most women in this hot sun would have gone early in the morning to, uh, you know, prepare things for the house for the rest of the day. But that's also just when it was... It was cool, like it wasn't so hot outside. She came at noon, right? The sun is, is, is blaring in the sun, and, and she's there by herself because she doesn't want to be bothered. This is a woman who, who has some baggage. She has some history, and we're about to find out about that. When Jesus says this next thing, go call your husband and come here, which is like, you know, sometimes you've seen on the movies where, where a guy is like trying to pick up on a girl and he's like, so uh, what does your husband think about this restaurant? You know, trying to figure out if she's like taken or not. This is not what's happening right here. <laughs> um, what's happening here is that Jesus is, is intentionally, and this is going to wreck some of you today, he's, he's intentionally kind of bringing up a point of pain in her life. Um, this is a little bit of what today is going to be about. This is what has wrecked me honestly this week. I, 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 I knew that I was going to be in John 4, and all week, and all week, and all week, I've just been kind of pouring over this passage because it just seems like there's this moment where where Jesus intentionally brings up a point of pain so he can move her to what's next. But, But she is taken off guard. Why? Because she doesn't recognize him as Jesus, like as a a Savior or as a Messiah. In fact, you'll see in just a minute, she doesn't even realize he's the Messiah yet. There's no necessary reason that she should. This is just some crazy person right by a well as far as we're concerned. We, We don't know if we're the Samaritan woman who this man is. I mean, we in 2017 have the benefit of looking back. Um, but she did not. So he says, "Go call your husband and come here." And she says, "I have no husband." So she's kind of chatty, up until this moment. She says, "I have no husband." It's the shortest thing she is, She says this whole conversation, "I have no husband." And he's like, "Yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband." Now, in our culture, right? You don't do this. <laughs> You don't do things that intentionally kind of poke at people or like pour salt in the wound or or things like that. You can't do those things because they're offensive. And, and I don't mean to, to, to get on to that. What I mean to say is that Jesus had an alternate purpose for what he was doing here. Because think about it. This guy is either a crazy man spouting off, you know, Indiana Jones last crusade, like living water of the Holy Grail, like you'll never age, you'll never die, you'll never thirst, whatever, or there's something legitimate to what he's inviting her into, and um, I don't know necessarily why you think he did this, but here's kind of what I'm after. I think about it like this, when I, had, when I was in college, I, I lived about 10 hours away from home, um, I I sh- I went to college about 10 hours away from home and uh one of my friends from home uh drove back and forth in this old car. I can't even remember what kind of car it was, but it was just back in 2001 it was a very old car. So this is probably like a 1990 model car. And this uh this <laughs> this dude um one day we were going back <clears throat> for like fall break or something and um and he did not get, and this is going to date me for just a second, so if you're, like, not older than, like, 30, you're not going to understand this reference. But that night, he didn't get on IM. Anyone with me? Like, instant messenger. And, and my, my screen name was L-U-stud 10 um, because we all have a past. <laughs> and we're all, you know, embarrassed with some of the dumb things that we do. L-U-stud 10. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there, because if I go ahead and put it out there, you can't throw it in my face later if you find out. L-U-stud 10. He didn't get on instant messenger that night, and I didn't have a cell phone, and we didn't text. So, you know, I guess I could pick up the phone and like call somebody, which is just ludicrous nowadays. Um, But I, uh, I, it's like, man, I, I finally got a hold of him later on, and I said, man, what happened, you know? And he said, man, my car just broke down. I didn't know what what was the deal? And I said, well, what did your parents say? Well, they were asking the same questions. Like, man, it was full of gas. Like, everything was good. And then the engine just stopped. And then my parents asked me, like, when the last time I changed my oil was. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, you just you just never changed the oil? Like, you bought the car? He's like, well, I, no. I mean, no. Like, I, no one told me. And I'm like, no one told you? Like, I mean, A, like, I, I don't know, there's a whole lot of judgment coming from me right now, you know, but but I remember thinking, like, man, someone had to get to the moment where they asked that diagnostic question that got to really, like, the root of the problem that would help him move forward, you know, so that when he does buy a new car, he knows to go every, you know, 3,000 miles or whatever to change the oil and watch all these gauges that will tell you something. Um, and I think Jesus in this moment is asking a diagnostic question about her life because what is this... What is this situation about never thirsting again? Is it a physical thirst or is it a, a spiritual thirst? He is bringing up something that possibly, now I'm not going to put my, myself in her shoes because I, I don't know what she's been through. I don't know why there's five husbands. I don't know why. I would never presume to understand why people do the things they do. But here's what I think Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is just kind of saying, what is it that you're throwing your identity into? Right. What is it that you're? What are the wells that you have been going to? Because you've been coming to this well for to for, to quench your, your actual physical thirst, and that's great. But then there's other wells that you go to. There's wells that you go to for comfort, right? And we all have wells that we go to. I've I've spoken openly in the past that like when I have a bad day, one of the wells that I go to is pizza and like Netflix, you know, <laughs> um, or like grilling. Things like that's just various versions of meat. Like I, that is something that makes me watching uh, college football. Like is a like when I I can go and disappear, go go into a movie theater and just forget about your life, you know. And I think about the wells that she was going to, and maybe one of the things that she was doing, maybe potentially, is that she was searching for her identity, for her purpose, for her value in these men that. And listen, I'm just going to say, I don't think five of them died. <laughs> Maybe, right? Maybe. Probably not. Who's to say, you know, what the situation was? But I think it's possible and probable that her situation was she was throwing her value in these marriages. And um, and for whatever reason, she hasn't gotten to marriage with the sixth one. And, and I don't think the stats would be very Uh, much in her favor that they would ever end up getting married or at least being successful in marriage so she says go um, I I have no husband and he says you're right you've had five and the man you have right now is not your husband she said sir I perceive you're a prophet (laughs) (laughs) I mean I, I hope she's smiling in this moment right uh, it's just what I imagine. She's like, I perceive you're a prophet. Or, like, or some sort of like, maybe it was sarcastic. You know, I wish there was some sort of sarcastic tone or, or text maybe um, that could have been used here. But she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she kind of changes the subject a little bit. She says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews he's he's making a very exclusive statement right now even even as a jew someone who came from the jews he's making an exclusive statement that salvation came from the jews i think if this were a full and final statement he would say listen some of the jews they're over here kind of doing their thing and they're missing the fact that the messiah is staring them right in the face, and I think this is another one of those moments where you can't necessarily say these things that Jesus would have said, like "I'm the way, the truth, and the life; no man can come to the Father but by me." Can't say those things, right? Because it would put someone out, it would it would offend someone. And I I, I understand the culture we live in, and I'm not knocking that. I'm saying Jesus is boldly saying here in this moment, um, salvation is from the Jews, and he's not even saying it boldly enough. He will in just a moment. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers. Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I think that's like a highlighter verse right there. The Father is seeking such people to worship him, those who worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Can you imagine what Jesus is like? This is like the moment, right? Right? He's like, this is the whole reason I asked you, can you give me a drink? Because I knew that we would get to this one point. And he says, I who's speaking to you am he. So Jesus reveals himself. I, th- I love that, that beginning in John chapter 7, you have this moment where he's like, give me a drink. I can give you living water if you just ask me. Like, if you realized who I was, you would ask me for living water because I can give that to you. Jesus is claiming this ability to be the source, right? The only well that anyone would ever need and all of that stuff. And you're going to end off and he's going to say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. He's going to proclaim himself and he's going to invite her to have this relationship with him. But in the middle of there, she can't get to this revelation unless she goes through this, like, valley of pain. Okay, This is the part that we don't like. And this is the part that doesn't make for necessarily good sermons where we walk away feeling like bowed up and excited about life because we have to walk through these moments of pain where he says, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. It's like, bingo. That's the well you've been going to. I, uh, I was talking with a friend recently who's going to get a, a different job, and, and I remember this person specifically saying, it seems that I've been uniquely created for this job. I would have never seen myself in this job, but, but because it directly relates to growing up with all these struggles and it seems that I can now in this job help people with that exact same struggle and I never thought that I would be able to help people but it makes sense now why I cried so many tears and I shed so many tears had so much emotions around this this crappy upbringing that one day God would would redeem and bring into this beautiful purpose and, uh, you know, you kind of see these things laid out and, and you're looking at this person literally walk out this story. But you got to go through this moment where Jesus is asking you, what are you throwing like your faith in? Like, where are your eggs going? Like, which basket are you putting? Who's, who's your source? Who's your salvation? Who is it that you are calling king? What is it that you're calling king in your life? What is your salvation? Who is your Lord? And he's asking these questions of all of us today. He's asking you these questions on Tuesday morning when you're at work and you're tempted to do like this or that. Like I could follow Jesus or I could get more money. I could follow Jesus or I could throw him under the bus at work. I could follow Jesus or I could, you know, be a bad parent. I could follow Jesus or I could trust him with my finances. All these things... These aren't Sunday morning things, right? I even think about this. This is just noon, right, regular day, and Jesus shows up and interrupts this girl. Now, here's what's interesting. As you see how she reacts when she gets up and leaves. This is uh, verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. This is interesting. I love this. Just when his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So I think she's got a couple questions. And remember, like this is like a person who, who just had something tremendously impactful happen to her, and I don't think she necessarily knows how to process it. I wouldn't know how to process it. When I have these moments where God is like clearly speaking into my life, I'm, 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 like the next day I'm like, what just happened? Like, what am I supposed to do? Where do I file this, you know, in my life? And so she's like, could this be the Christ? He just told me everything about me. So they went out of the town and were coming to him. This is so interesting because God does something in her and then he's going to do something through her. Notice that she left her her jar at the well. Is that not so telling? that she That not just the thing that she came for, but at this point, Her, like, honestly, like, physical water is so necessary to us. Second only, what, to air? You know? And and she leaves her jar because she is so taken and she's so distracted in a positive way by what Jesus has just offered her and just given to her. He's given her a picture of her future, a picture of true life, of living water, and she's running out what to tell people about Jesus because she's had this moment. She's never going to be the same. So, what happens next is interesting. Pardon me. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they're like, what? Did you just, like, sneak off to Chipotle? Like, we went off into town. Like, we went all the way over there, and, and you have food. And he's like, no, 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 no. You missed the point. Like, everyone always misses the point. So, like, can we just all just understand that sometimes we miss the point, too? And it's okay. Because like, sometimes we read the scripture, like, oh, 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 I would have. No, you wouldn't have. Um, so he says, um, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And then he's going to talk about, like, gardening, sowing, reaping, harvest, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. I picture that he's actually pointing to the town that the lady just ran off to. Don't miss this. (laughs) The lady came for water and ends up having a life-changing moment with Jesus and runs off a different person because she has experienced living water. The disciples, you see in the first part of the verse 8, for his disciples went into town to buy food. There's, There's something kind of funny happening here. The Samaritan woman, remember like half-breed, shouldn't be talking to a Jew. She's a woman, so her social status at that point is much, much lower than a man's. She got it and ran away to tell people, and the disciples have been in food at the actual restaurants, purchasing actual, like, physical food and coming back, and apparently didn't even bring anything back for Jesus, which is pretty terrible. Uh, Just terrible, terrible friends. Um, So he says, look, I tell you, look, Lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. And I I almost wonder if the woman is just still running towards the town. You know, just like, I got to tell people. I got to tell them about this Jesus that I just met. Like, this is crazy. I'm having a life-changing moment. I'm never going to be the same. They've got to know. Like, I've got to tell my dad, my mom, my brothers, my sisters, my friends. I've got to tell my coworkers. I've got to tell my neighbors. I've got to tell, like, all these people about this man out here because he may be the Messiah that I just, like, I'm oh my gosh, I'm realizing I may have just talked to the Son of God. Like she's having this moment, and the disciples are like, did you go get food? You know, they're kind, of, they're kind of having that moment where they don't get it. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is interesting. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. And that's okay. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. And so he's going to talk for a minute. It seems like a little bit of like a hard left turn, you know, like, what? okay, so we were talking about living water, and now we're talking about food and, and harvesting and things like that. And what he's saying here, and I, I think this is very true, is that John the Baptist has been in this town not too long ago because it kind of is near the area where he grew up in. And so I think that there is something to be said for the fact that John the Baptist this crazy, you remember John the Baptist, right? He wears camel hair and he eats bugs and honey. Like, and he's, he's a prophet among prophets. And he wanders into town, right, smelling like the forest, you know, or like just au natural. And he's like, repent, the kingdom is coming, right? The kingdom is had, Jesus is here. And uh, how do people respond to like a prophet like that? Ooh, this is weird. Like, I'm not even sure he's a legit prophet. Like, he's, he smells. He, he's not, not necessarily acceptable to us. And uh, he sowed the word of God into that city. And this is, so as I read, kind of like different sources are saying it is very possible that John the Baptist was the one to sow where Jesus walks up and has this conversation with this woman and is reaping the harvest out of this have you ever had a moment where you you if you're a christian you're sharing the gospel with your friend you're inviting them to church and it just never works and it never works and it never works and you're thinking god i'm just asking you to to help this person see that you are the living water they're chasing after the things this world has to offer and it's breaking my heart god i'm asking you to show yourself to them and it never works and it never works and it never works what happens eventually you you tend to like quit right like, what am I doing? Um, if you're like me, you have like a theological crisis. Like, God, are, are you there? Do you, do you care? Are you going to let them go on their own path? You have these moments where, where you're praying for people and you're asking, and here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. It's like, it may be that someone else gets to reap that. I think about all the people that were invested just personally in my own life. I, I think about, because I grew up in church. Um, I was born, and then I think I went to church. So I, I, I remember my church growing up. Um, I lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota for a while. I could take you to Southtown Baptist Church right now. I could walk you through those through those halls. Um, every once in a while, I go in like old school church buildings, and I smell it, and I'm like, <gasps> Like I re- you ever have that moment where you can like remember like you have this memory thing happen i can i can remember the faces of the people i i was an og like in the real sense like i was a an ra a royal ambassador anyone like been in church long enough to know that nobody okay so i'm all alone again weird totally get it i totally get it you can't throw it in my face later I I had a vest that we wore. We memorized verses, and we got these pins and stuff like that. I can remember people who sewed into my life by helping me learn Scripture at a young age. I remember growing up in in Montgomery, Alabama. We moved to Montgomery, Alabama from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's a culture shock, by the way. And uh, I remember Taylor Road Baptist Church where a man named Donald Buttram, I am 33, almost 34, and I can still remember this man's name and face, and week in and week out, he'd, he'd come and he'd welcome and hand me a donut because he knows my love language. And he would say, man, it's so good to see you. And by the end of that Sunday school hour, he would say, man, what is holding you back from accepting Jesus today? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to come back because the donuts are good and because my parents make me come. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was involved in the church choir and I was involved in all that kind of stuff, but I just kind of wasn't ready and I, I can't imagine how many times Donald Buttram went home. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I, like, I haven't connected with this guy. I don't know who necessarily where he lives or what he's doing. But I would love just to sit down with him and just say, hey, thanks. You sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed into me. And, and I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, having never made a decision. And that must have, like, broken your heart to some extent. You know, you must have gone home some days just kind of like, what, am, what are we doing here? And then I would move to Indianapolis, Indiana, where we would join Emmanuel Baptist Church. And uh, my youth pastor, uh, Danny Anderson, would continually take me out for coffee. I, I count it an honor to have these men in, involved in my life because I know that not everyone has that story. You know, I know that some people are like, you know, I've never had anyone invest in me. Like, I, I counted it an honor to have parents who kept me in church who invested in me personally and spiritually, and I had pastors that invested in me spiritually. Danny Anderson would take me to coffee before school, which at that point seemed like the seventh layer of hell, because in order to get to Starbucks before school, I had to get up way, way, way early, but he would just pour scripture into me. And he would just teach me. And, it, and, and the way he taught even was so exciting and, and, it, and it made me care about it. And it made me realize that it was real because it was real in his life. And, and I started to see somebody because they were sowing in me. I started to see kind of that living water start to spring up. And when I would finally surrender as like a 16-year-old who grew up in church and kind of walked a couple aisles and, and I yeah, I got dunked one time. It didn't really matter. I went to a couple camps and things like that. But as a 16-year-old, I had this moment where I ran away from all the wells that i have been going to, left my water jar, and I, and I ran off towards Jesus and towards the people that he loves. And I had that moment. And I wonder just, have you had that moment? Like, can you think about the people that have sowed in your life? Can you think about the, the scripture that, like, years and years and years and years that has come up in hard times and things like that because someone decide, decided to sow it into your life? Instantly, you're going to see this Samaritan woman run into town. And verse 39 matters to me greatly. I highlighted this when I put a star next to it. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony. Not because they saw him at the well. Not because they experienced him personally. It may be that there are people in your life that need to know your testimony. And listen, I, I get that that's weird. I get there's not a good place for it. I get that if someone is going to share their testimony, honestly, this is like the best place to do it because you're going to go to work and you're going to be at the water cooler and you'll be like, hey, want to hear my testimony? You know, like my story, like I get that that's kind of odd and kind of weird and that it's hard to break in in those conversations. But I see this verse and it changes my mind. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She says, he told me everything that I did. Then verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. I underline this one, and many more believed because of his word. It may be that people need to borrow your faith for a little bit before they can have their own. You know, have you ever experienced that, where someone experiences their, their kind of like meeting Jesus for the first time through you? It may be that you sense God moving in such a way that you share a word of hope and a word of encouragement and I and I just think of the verse and I think it's isaiah 55 11 it says my word goes forth to his purpose it never returns void I think about that I think about it maybe you live in a situation where where it is not conventional it's not it's not going to work for you to to share God's word easily and here's what I know I know that God is kind of over all of that right he's he's lord he's king and I think that there's a time and a place, yes, for sure. Like, I'm not necessarily saying you should bring a bullhorn to the work, to the job site tomorrow, and as everyone's walking in, you're like, you're going to hell. Like, I'm not saying that's a good idea. No one would say that's a good idea. But I just think that if you were to show up in somebody's life, just one person's life, and just offer them a word of encouragement, it may be that other people believed because of his word, right? It may be that there's a multiplying effect there, and look around you. Look at the chairs. Look at the empty chairs. It has to be that way, right? Think about our community. Think about our city. You know, we live in a city that large, in large part is unchurched. You know, 90% of the city is probably going to stay home on Sunday mornings. And for good reason, wouldn't you, right? You'd sleep in. You'd watch football. You'd eat good food. You know, you'd spend time with the family. You know, you work hard during the week. Um, and, and we get it. But here's what what we know is that I... Don't have any power, and you don't have any We don't have any power collectively to change anyone's life. But God does, and when we step into what he wants for our life, when we invite him to guide our steps and to send us. When I wake up on Monday morning, and listen, this is so dangerous. I'm telling you, this, this happens. It's like a, a guarantee, and it's scary, and, and so don't call me. like This is a disclaimer. Like you, Your day may get interrupted this week okay you may have a moment where you're like I was late to work cuz I was sharing the gospel and I still got in trouble listen you're going to get in trouble you're going to get docked pay you're going to get all this kind of stuff like it's going to happen but if you leave this morning and you say god I'm just asking you to give me a moment give me an opportunity to share with someone just in my sphere of influence and it'll happen the only times it doesn't happen are when I'm not paying attention I think about it this way. When, when, the, when the bush was burning with Moses, there's this specific verse in there where it says, and when Moses turned to stop and like pause, like he stopped, he was walking and he saw it. and He's like, okay, you know, it's the desert. Things just spontaneously combust apparently normally, um, but it wasn't being consumed and that's what was different. It's just random fires, normal, but this one wasn't being consumed. Um, I don't know. Um, and he stopped. It says, when he stopped and paused, God started speaking to him. And so consider this a dare, a triple dog, double dare. You know what that means. You can't not do it. That's helpful. I've been talking for 35 minutes now. It's about time to be done. Um, I'm asking you to look at the chairs, and, and in a moment... Um, in fact, Eric, you can go ahead and come back up. We're going to close. In a moment, we're going to pray and ask God to do something in us. Because honestly, these chairs, they're going to stay empty until God does something in us. I don't think, this is just my own personal theology, I don't know about you, but I don't think you can send that woman running off into town until she has her point of pain elevated to the surface. And so I know that's not exciting. I know that in some senses you've got to wrestle with some stuff. You've got to wrestle with like where you've been throwing your energy at, your faith at. I know that you've got to wrestle with some of that stuff. But I don't think you have a woman running off into town. I don't think you have many more believing because of his words unless she has a moment and an experience with Jesus just one-on-one. One-on-one. And so I don't know about you, but here's what I know: I have weeks that go by sometimes, sometimes longer, where I just kind of, I just kind of go. I wake up, I've got plans. I got to get to work, right? You got to fight traffic on 270, right? All this kind of stuff. You, you've got lunch plans. You've got meetings. You've got family. You've got dinner plans. You've got all this kind of stuff. And then you go to bed, and you're just like, what just happened? And you have these days, weeks, and sometimes months that go by without necessarily, like, asking God to send you out into the community. I fully believe that you are where you are, at your job, in your neighborhood. I think that God is involved in all that. That's just kind of where I land. And I think that he is sending us. And I think that he wants to do something in us first. And so... While Eric plays, he's going to sing a song to close us out and he's going to dismiss us when he's done. But I just want to take a moment for us just to have a moment of reflection. Because I do believe, and I, I just as my eyes are closed, I, I, I can see this room filled with people. And, and it's because everyone decides to own up to their inviting potential to go out and invite someone here but it's got to be because God is working in us. I want this to be built by the spirit of the Lord, not by anything else, not by our, our personal inviting ability or our, our ability to speak well or our ability ability to to make friends easily or anything like that. I want by by the spirit of the Lord, right by, by Zechariah uh, the prophet would say by By my might and by my power, says the Lord. That's what I want to see happen because nothing is going to happen in this room unless his spirit is injected into what we do here. And so this space, this moment, this song is for us to reflect on what we want God to do in our hearts before we do anything else. So let's take a moment and ask God to be the ruler and the king of our hearts before he ever builds a cool church or before he ever helps other people. Lord, you've got to do something in our hearts. And Lord, we're asking you to send us out. Send us out.